Welcome to the Heroes of Reality Podcast, a podcast about the game of life and the hero's journey we all experience. Let's jump in with our host, Dylan Watkins, as he introduces today's guest. What up, young adventurers? Dylan here. And on today's podcast, I have John Alser. He is a software engineer and entrepreneur. He's also the co-founder of Chimpy, powered bank sharing company, and Yeti, a plant-based cheese company. Uh, furthermore, uh, John was a co-founder of Cosmos School. The goal was to build a K-12 through school that existed only in VR. Uh, it did not work out, but we're going to dive into the lessons and learn from that situation and more. So without any further delay, I'd like to welcome John. Hi, hey, John. Welcome, brother. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Awesome. Um, I, I'm excited to have you here. And, uh, and this is gonna be great. I don't know if you have a chance if you can get that mic just a little bit closer to you. Um, but, um, it would, this is a, I'm, I'm excited to talk to you about this, uh, for a couple of reasons. Um, I think there's a lot of things to learn in not only the success of people's endeavors and what they go on, but things that don't ultimately work out, um, because you can kind of carve a path. I know we're going to eventually all be plugged into the matrix at some point but there are challenges and roadblocks along the way so i first want to start out um diving into that topic um of what was the initial um desires to to create this cosmos vr school what was the genesis and then what happened along the way sure um is my is my mic good now yeah it's, it's good yeah cool so um yeah i mean i think you know um so how it started is we started with a um, mobile app um, that you know at that time, which was like uh, mid 2017, where we I didn't even I mean I knew of VR, but I have never tried VR before. Mm. So um, we're in San Francisco, um, and then uh, we started this company with the goal to make science science more accessible um, to the mainstream. Um, just because the vision was, you know, the more people know about basic science, like physics, chemistry, and bio, you know, the better decisions they can make in life and politics and so on and so forth. So um, after a year or so, this, this company, um, this ad tech company where we had a mobile app um, didn't work out. Um, I mean, it was so, so what weren't making any money. So um, in San Francisco, um, you know, our roommate um, invited us to a birthday party of one of the founders of Oculus. Mm. Um, and, uh, and at that party, at the apartment, they had a Oculus Rift um, rig set up in the corner. And, mm. um, you know, I remember just the whole, the whole night just playing VR, like it was the client was on. I, remember and self talking to people I just was in VR all the time so that was a moment for me to say hey VR is you know, kind of like the future and especially in education um, so we got to do something in VR that's when we kind of like threw everything over mm -hmm. and then and started um, Cosmos School um, and to answer your question um, so yeah the idea was to we said you know what what if um, a whole school existed, um, K through 12 school existed only in VR, kind of like a multiplayer game mm -hmm. where everyone has an avatar, but um, unlike the real classroom, you can do really cool stuff. 
And you know, for us, kind of like the kicker was um, um, what we are bringing to the table that um, like a Zoom meeting doesn't bring to the table is social presence. And social presence, I think, is really important for um, education, especially for younger kids. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So, so then, so okay, let's let's. So you're making a mobile app to spread uh, awareness when it comes to science education, and then you tried VR, and like a lot of people do, you put the VR headset on. You're like, oh my god, this is incredible! How can I take what I'm currently doing and apply it into this new medium that's so powerful? There's a new opportunity, a new medium, a new way to get ahead. You then um, uh, try to make a complete K through 12 focus with the Cosmo schools um, and and bring that in. And he said, ultimately, it didn't work. What stopped it from working? What was the biggest barrier that you had? Um, was it the, the difficulty in building the technology? Was it the difficulty to get users? Was it the difficulty to to sustain, to, like to add value? What What happened that caused you to not succeed? Yeah, that's a good question. So, I mean, you know, when you when I say we're building a K through 12 school, that wasn't, I mean, that was like the, the vision, right? That wasn't yeah. like how we, what we started with. So what mm -hmm. we started with were actually um, kind of like extracurricular physics classes mm -hmm. um, for, um, let's say, uh, 14 to 16 year olds or something like very specific. And our first class was about um, building a rocket. So you could build an actual rocket and then even like board it and then fly to space. Um, and, you know, you learned all about um, Newton's laws. You learned about why there are different stages in rockets, stuff like that. And you could experiment with all these things in VR. Mm -hmm. um, so um, you know, and the difficulty was um, not, so the technology I think worked pretty well. So we had a couple of classes where people paid for, we had a teacher, she was a physics teacher in LA and she, you know, she was our, she was a friend of ours and she kind of like helped us out um, with this and she was running the classes. Technology worked well. It was back then, it was an Oculus Go. So it was, you know, <laughs> I think now in the Oculus Quest 2, it would be yeah. much cooler even. Yeah. Um, but still worked out. Um, um, and the problem was um, getting users. It was getting students. Um, because, you know, think of it this way. Um, imagine no one had, had a smartphone and you have a great app for, for smartphones. Um, but now first you've got to convince them to buy an iPhone or Android and then to buy your app. So that's like you know, two steps removed from what you actually want to do. So I think that was the main problem. I think we underestimated um, how fast VR would become mainstream. Mm -hmm. So then you underestimate how fast it would become mainstream. So you feel like it's become mainstream a lot quicker than it has, than you were expecting? Oh, sorry. Um, overestimated. <laughs> oh, overestimated. Yeah. I got it. Yes. Got it. Yeah. 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 The, um, yeah, especially being a software developer in the VR space, you always feel like you're building a town in the desert saying the trains are coming, you know, like I swear there's it, something's going to come through here and they're always waiting for that. Then the hardest thing is getting that that user base because, yeah, when you build something and you don't validate that there's a market that will buy it and especially how expensive it is to, to, to create those things, 
the economics don't really always add up. It's a cha- it's a challenge to try to try to do that. And it's like it's like kind of like whenever you're going into a new space, like at some point in the future here, um, all schools are going to have VR. Like almost all schools have iPads. Like it's happening. But at that point, there's going to be giant studios that are dedicated to making just that content and cranking that stuff out. And so you're kind of in this weird place where you're trying to be the first one in without there being a market, which is a challenge. There's a lot of challenges for VR developers. So at what point, at what point did you recognize that there wasn't um, a strong enough market to support the client base that you're looking for? And, and then what did you do after that? Um, well, I think we tried for about a year, year. Yeah. Um, you know, really getting after we've developed the software, really getting customers, uh, getting mm-hmm. students. And we tried a bunch of stuff. You know, we tried paid ads, we tried um, teaching platforms, we tried partnering with um, um, like science museums and stuff like that. You know, we tried a lot of things. Um, and, you know, half of the time, kind of like, because what you offered is if you don't have a VR headset, we will send you one out. You can keep it for the duration of the class and then you just send it back for free. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we just realized most people don't have VR headsets. Um, and we, yeah, and we tried, you know, because we tried to, you know, there are basically two different angles to main angles, I would say. In our case, to acquire the cost, the students was either you go, you find the people who have VR headsets and then kind of like hope that they have kids or are kids themselves and are looking for physics classes to take and pay for. Um, or you go to students who are looking for extracurricular physics classes and then, between, you know, in those find the ones that have a VR headset. So either way, it's, you know, it's a really hard, it's really hard yeah, road. So, um, yeah. Was there, it's a, it's a super hard, super niche road um, of making physics that people will pay for if they have a headset. If it's like, it's hard to, um, it sounds like it's really hard because you need to have something that's either gonna solve a pain. Like I need to get this, I need to do this to get into college. Like I need to, I think I need this thing for this, right? Or it's gotta be so fun like Beat Saber, that people are going to be like, this is so much fun. Sign me up for it. And it's hard if it doesn't, if it doesn't hit like the, you know, getting me to where I want to go or being that fun. It's it's a hard it's a hard spot to be in. Um, and I've I've seen a lot of people hit that that path. So um, I'm sure in the future that you can take another crack at trying that kind of stuff when the when the market gets a little bit bigger. I mean, I think we sold like I think it was like eight million or ten million Quest units went out this year. Um, some, I read that. Yeah. Yeah. So they're, they're getting there. The, the trains are coming. It's coming through. We'll, All right. we'll get there. It is, it is. So it is. in the, in the meantime, you shifted gears and you do a lot of things around climate change. Um, you do a lot of things around like sustainable energy and climate change and things like that. Um, can you talk to me just a little bit about like getting, like, what caused you to get in the whole in the other two products and companies that you have and what that looks like and how that relates to climate change? Sure. 
So, um, so the first company, it's called Chimpy, and it's a power bank sharing service. So, mm -hmm. you know, power banks, for those who don't know, are the external chargers for your phones that you can plug up. Um, and actually, I started a company before Cosmos School. So mm -hmm. that was back in 2014. Mm -hmm. um, so what I did is I started Chimpy. After three years, I left, started Cosmos School, and then failed, and then went back to Chimpy. Uh, yeah, so, um, and uh, anyways, Chimpy, um, the, the idea there is um, that, you know, when you're um, on the go and you run out of battery on your phone, you can easily go to a um, convenience store, like a kiosk, uh. um, like a small store, um, and then um, rent a power bank, you pay a deposit and a small fee, you can use it and then return it at any one of the points that accepts the power banks. So we started, so I'm from Switzerland um, and we started in Switzerland and in Switzerland it's pretty um, like a known and a lot of people use it. Um, and we've got over a thousand locations um, where you can pick up or either pick up or return it. So it's very kind of like, you know, if you use the train or public transportation, it's at every train station, basically. So it's very dense. Um, so it's very convenient. Um, and um, so the idea there in terms of renewable energy is that we charge all the power banks with solar energy and also that it's uh, a circular economy. Um, you know, the power banks are reused over and over again. Um, so compared to if everyone buy their own power bank, we, got, we just get more usage out of each power bank. Uh, yeah, so that's the idea there. <clears throat> and then the other company that, that I started after I um, had um, closed down Cosmos School, mm -hmm. um, which I started last year, um, is called the Yeti Cheese, uh, which is a plant-based cheese company. And there um, it's also the kind of like the environmental aspect but not the energy part uh but the you know food part which is also a very important part of climate change and important part of the solution to climate change and i think more and more people start to realize that now um uh so you know the idea is can we make cheese that um tastes very similar to animal-based cheese so that we can convince more people to switch over to a plant-based diet um, yeah, it's so different. Like all the things you work on are vastly different. Like you, you, you were a software developer that got into virtual reality, right? Which kind of, I can make that one. Then you got into <laughs> hardware or before that, or at some along the timeline, you got into hardware of, of renewable energies. And then you got into food products and food products of making a, a plant base. They're very different than just straight software. What, uh, like, how did you make that leap into those different spaces if that's not your like main core ability like what's what was the can you talk to me a little bit about that yeah i guess it's true um i mean there's a software component at chimpy at the power bank company um but, but uh, uh, yeah it's not it's a hardware software it's a yeah. hardware but you're making a hardware infrastructure thing like and i right. can see the value yes, in it yeah. it's, like, it's like it's like the birds the scooters that you ride around it's like exactly. you know it's like it's, it's, and you're, you're creating an infrastructure. And if you can make an infrastructure, then it's powerful. Um, it's it very is, hard yeah. to get. 
it's but the, the 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 trick is the getting in it but like how did you do you have like uh, like thousands of chimpies stored at one location and you're like and bringing these things out and like you're like i'm just it's just a, it's an interesting uh, yeah so yeah so how it works is we work together with uh, mainly bigger retail chains so uh -huh. um the chimpies go from our main storage facility. They go out uh, to the main storage of the retail chain. And from there, they already have like a fine distribution network where they distribute their goods, you know, to those mm -hmm. single locations. Just the ghost with that. Um, the empty ones that the customers return after they've used them um, through the same route come back to our main um, headquarters, basically where we clean them, um, you know, have some maintenance um, um, and recharge them, repackage them and then they go out again. So basically, yeah, they're, you know, so yeah, so they always go back and forth, but we use an existing distribution system. That's why, um, you know, economically it makes sense. And also from an environmental perspective, the incremental logistics, cost is not is not a lot because they're not big and not heavy so yeah, yeah. and then then how did you get into the that hardware space and then in the plant space space like what's the um yes i don't know um so it's a good so for me you know um i guess for me so what i like all the projects or companies i do um, it's not about, um, it's more about what I want to achieve, kind of like more about the mission that I really feel strongly about and not necessarily about the means. Mm -hmm. So, you know, so my background, I went to school for business and then, and then after that, like this 10 years ago, started like an e-commerce shop cosmetics, just because there was no opportunity. And then I had to learn PHP and MySQL because we didn't have a web shop and Shopify wasn't a thing. In Switzerland back then, so I'm like, okay, I like coding, and it, you know, gets me to where I want to go. So it's more a tool for me than um, software engineering as a thing in itself. So I just want to go to a place and like achieve certain goals, and I'll do whatever. If I have to go into a kitchen and make cheese, plant-based cheese, I'll do it. If I have to write software, I'll do it. You know, um, if I have to go to China to Ch Shenzhen and visit power bank factories do it you know <laughs> um it doesn't really matter um yeah okay so it's just the you find the mission that you're passionate about and you find the means to make it happen right yeah that's awesome okay so then so uh let's talk a little bit about the um climate change right because a lot of things are around climate change the consumption of energy and it's also around um the like ways to do do it are there are there things or that you'd like to see people do or get into um, to um, that would help the big move? Because there's 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 some there's some news that came out recently that was really like, you know, wow, we've really sped up the timetables um, on a lot of this stuff. You know, we're we're really good at making things happen. Um, so what are your what are your thoughts around that and what you would like to see like entrepreneurs get into for that? All right. Well, so in terms of climate change, you know, just taking a step back, I think it is one of the most important challenges that humanity, that we've ever faced as humans on Earth. Um, 
And um, I think there are two, I mean, there, I mean, there are a lot of dimensions to it, right? But if I were to say what are the most important aspects, I would definitely say the first one is renewable energy or sustainable energy sources. And then the second one, which is, you know, which I think is equally important um, is um, how we make food. So um, basically livestock agriculture, which is a, uh, which has a great effect, negative effect on, on climate change. Um, not only on climate change, but also on loss of biodiversity, um, the whole antibiotics topic, and, 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 you know, zoonotic diseases like, like COVID and, and, and SARS and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I would say if you're, you know, if you're an entrepreneur, if you want to make a difference, look into, into those two areas. Um, definitely food systems are extremely underrated currently. And I think there are a lot of economic opportunities. So you can also make a lot of money while doing something good. Um, I mean, both, but, but especially food systems. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. So renewable energies and food systems and what, like, what are the, cause, um, I was in the food business for a while. I ran, I had my own, my own food company, um, in the, in the, in that space. But what to you has been some of the challenges that you've come up against by trying to make this plant-based cheese? Like what are the things that have been unexpected that as you go to build it, you're like, Oh wow, that's, that's, that's a lesson. Mm-hmm. Uh, so before I answer your question, what what kind of food company or what kind of food business were you in? It, it it wasn't products and consumers. It was it was more like catering. Like I had a I had a food truck and a food business. Oh, and cool. inside there, I I produced like uh, barbecue sauces and other things that we sold um, items from the uh, through the catering company. So it was more of a more of that than necessarily like packages out the door, consumer goods. All right. Yeah. Still cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 Also, don't meet a lot of people who are in VR that did um, food before. <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh, unusual paths, right? Same thing. If, right. I, I find things that are interesting, that are compelling, and then jump in as well. So it's always right. <laughs> it's a way to go. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, I mean, yeah, I mean, a lot of challenges, you know, um, as you probably know. Um, mm-hmm. So I had zero idea of making food before we started with the cheese, um, you know, Basically, compared to making just software, um, there's a huge barrier to entry because you gotta f- figure out all the the laws, you know, all the hygiene regulations and all that stuff. You have to have like a professional kitchen where you produce. You can't just do it at home. It's you know illegal. You can the hygiene guidelines don't allow it, at least in Germany. Um, yeah. uh, and. Uh, so that was already a big barrier to entry, I would say. And I think that's one of the reasons we don't see a lot of innovation in the food space, because it's just, you can't just start like a, just, you can't just write an app and, you know, deploy it in the cloud and then people will start using it and paying you for it. Um, I mean, it's not that easy, but, you know, basically that's the idea. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so I think uh, the kind of like the regula- regulatory thing yeah. was a big challenge. Um, the, the, yeah. people don't, the people don't realize that when you get into the food space too, is that like you, when you go to make it, there's actual legal blocks that you have from actually selling it legally. And it's like, how yeah. did you make it? And, and, and 
Uh, it's frowned upon to make it inside your house uh, unless you're doing like private sales. I don't know how that is um, in Sweden, but like if you sell with like a private person and they come over your house, you can you can do it that way. But if you put it in like a public location yeah. for people to buy, then it, then it's it, it's um, it's a no go. So it is, you, yeah, yeah. So, so so I'm in Germany right now. Um, mm. So the companies companies based in Germany, but yeah, I guess it's similar to the US or um, other countries. And your power banks are in Sweden? No, uh, Switzerland. Switzerland, Switzerland, Switzerland. Apologize. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah. then, so you're in Germany, but your power banks are in Switzerland. That's an that's an interesting like, like commute to make that work. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, so the. I mean, there are two things. The, the power bank company started in Switzerland, in Zurich, mm. um, but now it's in six European countries, including Germany. Oh. Okay. Um, but um, I've been working remotely for a couple for the last two and a half years. So, um, and actually, I'm leaving by the end of, of August. So it's my two last weeks now. Um, but uh, yeah, so. Yeah, in the first three years I was there in Zurich, and then I, I went remote. Um, so I've been living a couple of countries, um, but now um, we started a food business in Berlin, so that's more I can't really move. move. I have to stay here, uh, nice. which is fine. I like it here. So um, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, just to get back to the challenges, I think. Yeah. Um, and then actually like like always like at cosmos school selling the thing is often the hardest part um so um, selling it you know we had a couple of deals so we wanted to start um by selling only to restaurants to chefs um, mm -hmm. kind of like um if you know impossible foods that's how mm -hmm. they got started with their burger uh, plant-based burger um, just because it's easier um there are less regulations um you don't need to have a pretty packaging. You don't need to have deals with retailers. You know, you can just go basically walk in the restaurant and say, hey, I'm making this cheese. Do you want to buy it? You know, so the sales is more straightforward. Um, yeah, so and then, you know, there was November last year and then Germany, they had this lockdown. So the restaurants were basically closed. They were like, fuck, um, we can't, you know, we can't now. It's bad timing. So um, we kind of like pivoted to retail which um you know as we thought didn't really work out just because it's hard to get in once you're in you're on the shelf with like 20 other brands if you're like a new startup um with no brand recognition you know it's hard to get people to buy your stuff um so when the restaurants opened back up like three months ago we switched back to restaurants um so um yeah so now we're focusing on that um but it's still hard, you know, so sales is hard. Um, anyone who's done like door-to-door -door sales knows it's, um, it takes a lot of time <laughs> and effort and motivation. And uh, yeah, so um, yeah. And then, um, yeah. That's one of the challenges that I don't think everybody realizes and recognizes as you build, like people go, if only I could build this product, if only I could make this thing, everything would be great. And then they go and build it and then they realize that the fact that nobody really wants it or it's difficult to sell or it takes a lot of time. There's like a bunch of, or there's a bunch of red tape. Like if you try to sell it to a big yeah. company, there's miles and miles of red tape, right? Or you could try to go door to door to sell it to the consumer one by one. And that's a big challenge too. Uh, restaurants are good. 
because if you can get in with a restaurant, then they they have their own turnkey things and it's on the menu and then people just buy things off the menu if they right. have that if they have that turnkey. So it makes sense why you're why you're doing that. It's gonna be a little hard, I, I guess, with uh, restaurants if they've been hit from COVID and then they're right. struggling and then you you have this premium product that's amazing but also expensive and they're trying to get back on their feet. I'd imagine there's probably right. a little bit a little bit of a challenge there. What advice would you give to people? that are maybe they're developers software developers anybody and they're looking to sell they're looking to sell the thing that they've made right what advice would you give to them on how to sell whether it's whether it's plant-based items or power banks or any of this stuff um what did what have you seen to be successful in that area well i mean first of all i'm not a expert salesman um I've done it out of necessity. Um, I don't necessarily like doing it or, and I, I don't think I'm particularly good at it, yeah. but I think I'm average. Um, so, <clears throat> but yeah, I think, um, people, especially people who make stuff like software engineers or entrepreneur, like, like, yeah, people focused on making just on the making of things. Um, uh, underestimate how important sales and marketing is. Um, basically, I think that if you're like, if you if it, like a naive view, you think, well, if I just make a good product, of course, people will use it and talk about it and, you know, it will go viral. And that does happen once in a while, you know, but the chances that it's going to happen to you are you better play the lottery, you know, I think yeah. you have better chance of making money or things are winning. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think what's surprising and I think mm -hmm. also a little bit sad, but if you have a mediocre product and you're good at sales, you'll go a very long way, you know, you can go a very long way with that, um, which is as, as, a, as a maker of things is a bit sad because, um, I mean, if you look out there, there's so many shitty products, but people buy them because I don't know. People are good at sales and at marketing, you know, um, and yeah, it just works. <laughs> it, well, and that's and that's and it's, the reason why I just bring it up is because it's a big, you know, mentioned sales and marketing being a challenge with each of the things, right? The, you did the, the VR school, right? It was difficult to find people that would buy uh, the power bank system. It's it's a difficult infrastructure thing to put in place. But once you get in one spot, you can roll that out, um, which makes sense, and and that can spread. But then when the plant based is it's again it's difficult in itself. So this this reoccurring theme is coming up with that with that with those issues, which is by the way, I I run VR communities and so that I have seen the I've built something and I put I've put so much time into it and nobody wants it. And I now have to do the thing I hate the most, which is sales. All I want to do is be behind my computer and build something, but now I have to go sell the thing. It's like you don't, you know, it's like it's very difficult to make the thing and then go sell the thing. It's easy to be one of the sides. It's, 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 yeah. Sometimes it's easy to sell something that you didn't make. And sometimes it's, it's easy to make something that you don't have to sell. But it's very difficult to be the creator and the salesperson all wrapped into one boat and to be able to validate it because it, it, they take a lot of, it takes a lot of work on those categories. So is there any, I know you said you're not the best at it, but you're, but you're studying it, you're struggling through it, you're going through it right now is there is there any advice that you'd give to people to to, to how they get past it? Because they're going to be a lot of people are going to have that feeling that you have that feeling that's like 
I don't want to do this, but I have to do this. And I'm only doing this because I have to do this. So how do you get yourself to do the things you don't want to do, but you know you need to do, and it's critically important? I don't know. Um, it's hard because I, I know that I've quit, quit too early in the past. Um, sure. So I think it's important to start studying earlier than you think you should start. Mm -hmm. um, you know, not selling it, like just talking to your customers, potential customers, getting, just start earlier with getting your thing, your product, your service out there. And yeah, you can always start earlier. Um, and there are a bunch of reasons why people delay that. It might be that you think it's not good enough. You might be scared because, you know, once you start talking to people and people don't like it, then uh, reality hits, right? While you're in your little room and building stuff, you're in your perfect bubble and nothing can go wrong. Um, and then also, um, you know, it sounds stupid, but just you just get a somehow get through it. it just it will need i think any product will need a couple of years until even if it's the best product ever you will need a couple of years until you see market success so then don't get discouraged by early setbacks or things taking longer um and then the third thing that's something i'm doing right now with yeti cheese is um you know maybe just hire someone um, that's good at doing sales or doing something good at doing something that you're good at and likes doing it and can help you out. Um, I don't think, you know, if you have the resources to do it, of course. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's always been a challenge that I've seen just in, um, and I'd love to hear if you have, if you had success with hiring a salesperson to go sell your stuff. Um, just because when I've just when I've seen like the different products and companies that I've ran is that I've, I've always had a challenge bringing on sales guys uh, mm -hmm. because they, they say they're really good at selling and they'll sell you on the selling. But generally <laughs> speaking, when they come in to try to sell, there's a lot of reasons why they can't sell and the struggles that they have. Or there's a lot of I've, I've had weird I've had weird experiences with trying to have other people sell my stuff. Um it's like, it could be, they, they can do like, like get leads and do stuff like that. But the actual big thingies, I just, I haven't had a lot of success with getting other people to do it. Um, have you, have you, cause I know you say you're getting started with that. Have you successfully gotten someone that is actually producing sales for you? Like a salesperson? Um, yeah, I mean, no, I mean, that's a genuine, that's a real concern, right? Um, yeah. Because as you said, salespeople, are good at selling, uh, so they will sell themselves to you, yeah, and not necessarily be good at selling your product. Then, anyways, I think I'm um, so at Chimpy, we had a bunch of um business development people that uh that we hired that are great, you know, that awesome. did a great job. Um, and now at Yeti, we're looking to hire someone who we already worked with before at Chimpy. Mm -hmm. and who we know um is, is a kind of like a nice person and good at their job um and will do their best and not you know like focus over or something um but yeah generally when hiring especially early stage 
it's always better if you hire people that you have worked with before or that you know someone you know you trust can watch for or something and not hire random people because it's hard to it's hard to judge people yeah, yeah referrals are yeah that referrals are definitely the best way to go if you know someone who's yeah. like oh this guy's awesome um I, I agree with that. So that's great. So when you, you got the people with Chimpy to actually help kind of create that infrastructure and, and move that along, that's awesome. What, um, how did you know that they were a good fit? Like what, like what, what gave you indicators? What have been keys that you've seen of being successful salespeople? What, is there any, any patterns that you've noticed? Hmm. Well, I don't like, I mean, this is not specific to salespeople, but um, mm. uh, yeah, like when I personally hire people, you know, for me, um, kind of like the way I prioritize what I'm looking for is always um, uh, kind of like uh, the personal fit, I think is the most important. Um, and then aptitudes, like, are they smart? Did they seem smart? Have they done smart things in their past careers? And then actual skills, because um, I think if you do it the other way around, which I think a lot of people do, then um, they might have good skills, but if the other two things, aptitude and personal fit, don't work out, then they, that can be learned. Whereas if there's a personal fit and if they're smart, they can learn the skills. Usually, I mean, that's for me like a general heuristic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, hire someone that you that you resonate with, and then if they that if you if you resonate with them and they're capable, they're gonna figure it out, right? You know, exactly. like like so yeah. So so you like them, they're capable, and then and then you know they'll 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 figure out along the way. That make that makes a lot of sense. That's so. Yeah. Ultimately, uh, oh, go, go ahead. No, just, just to add to that, you know, I think um, what is really important is to spend a lot of time with someone before hiring them. I know if you're hiring a lot, it's hard to do, but if you're just hiring a few people in the beginning, you can absolutely do it. It's just spend a couple of dinners, have drinks, have coffee, have lunch. Yeah, maybe like five to 10 hours spend with that person before hiring them because yeah. only then you will see the real the real person right. slowly start to see the real person behind him and you might think it's a waste of time but it's it's not you know it's not at all it you know i'd love to see it, I, I i'd love to see like a like a like a tinder for salespeople or something you're like you're swiping <laughs> through what you're looking for i'm looking for this and then you start to like text them back and forth you know then you can go out you can go on some sort of zoom date with them and meet them see if you right. resonate with them hey how you guys get along you know, that's a, that, that'd be really nice. Some little, uh, a bit of a, a bit of some, some, uh, meet and greet day. Cause it really sounds like you're dating them, right? You're like, Hey, is, if we're going yeah. to get married, if we're going to spend time together, I really got to get to know you, which is like, and you're talking about drinks and dinner and stuff like that. I'm like, it'd be, you know, you just be start swiping left and right. You know, I don't know if it'd be like physical pictures, but maybe like what they've done. I have no idea what that would look like. Um, it'd be, it'd be interesting to see. So some, some, please make that. Anyone's listening, go make the Tinder for business, and I'll, I'll, I'll talk to you about that. We'll take. I just want to. I want to try it for my own personal interests. Um, but uh, it, it makes a lot of sense, dude. Find find people that you want, um, and and making sure because once they're in, they're so hard to 
get rid of if you like if you bring someone on that's bad and it has a bad culture fit, a bad personality fit, that stuff, it's it's a it's a challenge to to get them out. Have you have you had experiences where you've brought on the wrong people um, yeah. in business and you've been like that? Is it is there what are what do you think are some key indicators that you maybe have uh, messed up um, on picking the right person um, for a position? Yeah. So so luckily that didn't didn't happen too much. Mm-hmm. But um, early at Chimpy, we had uh, one of the first few hires was this guy who was supposed to, you know oversee um, operations, which means in our case, um, you know. Uh, cleaning the power banks, maintaining them, stuff like that, like physical operations, basically. And um, yeah, I don't know, like we, we had a bunch of applications for that position, but none of them were particularly good. So we just picked like the best of the, you know, of the bad ones. We shouldn't have, we just should have waited, you know, um, but hindsight is 2020. So yeah, basically... So- gut feeling you know we had a bad gut feeling we still did it um you can always rationalize things but if you have a bad gut feeling in the beginning you should you know you should listen that comes from somewhere um and then you know after a couple of months we like realized he was lying to us and that was kind of like he was performing not well but we still tried to kind of like you know get him to perform better to kind of give feedback you know maybe you know some hope maybe he'll get around but then once he started lying to our face, then it's like, okay, you gotta go. You know, that's like the that's where the box stops, basically. That's a that's a hard one, man. Yeah, yeah. Lying yeah. is a big deal. Lying yeah. is huge. Uh, some people go, like, they'll let it go, but like, no, if you, that's if you a... have people that you can't you can't trust, like if it it, it it makes for a lot of like, am I crazy? Is he crazy? What's going? Like, yeah. you're like you start to question your own self. <laughs> Um, when someone's lying, cause you're like, I don't, I don't know if we live in the same reality. We might have some different yeah. things going on here. Um, okay, cool. And so <laughs> have you, um, like, like gut feelings are really interesting. Like, is there ways that you tune into the gut? Are there ways that you kind of, are you like, are you, do you feel like you're an intuitive entrepreneur that you, you, you feel in a direction you go in that place? Can you talk to me a little bit more about gut sensations and how you apply them towards business? Yeah, um, I don't know if I'm a, I don't know if I've got great gut feeling or not, but I'm certainly I have a gut. I've got a gut feeling. I'm, so basically, I'm checking with my gut, and my gut tells me yeah. I don't got a good gut feeling. <laughs> That's very meta. Um, no, but, but you know the point is, I mean, gut feeling is just uh, basically it's another word for how experienced you are because it's it's not some magic it's gut feeling usually is um, kind of like a sum of your experiences in that area i think mm. um yeah not only in business but in life also you know uh, uh and um or just your experiences and knowledge basically mm-hmm. um, and um you can be wrong but um but yeah so i think um yeah, I don't know. I think um, I would I would say I have um, you know, done a lot of different uh, kind of businesses, been in different industries. I would say kind of like that I have a good um, 
intuition for business, like kind of like, um, you know, how you not necessarily know absolutely this works, this doesn't work, but how you should approach problems, especially if there's a lot of ambiguity or uncertainty. Um, how do you how do you approach problems? Like, is there you said there's you have a good sense for business. Is there a framework that you follow? Um, you're saying into like what what is that? What do you mean when you say that you you're good at like seeing problems in businesses? What is that? Can you break that down a bit? Um, I mean, I don't have a like a framework. Um, mm. uh, uh, I mean, I think it's important to. I know. I think in general, if you, uh, well, I do think I have a very analytical approach where um, not necessarily, I don't mean like Excel business cases, but like just um, like if you discuss a strategy with your business partner or with your team or something like a business strategy, then um, I think it's important to always, um, because those things that are not like hard science or hard facts often get emotional or opinion based. So I think um, so. If you're in a setting where you're you know discussing something, then it's always important to get back to the facts um, and look at um, look at the hard facts that you've maybe agreed on for, or mm -hmm. that you know it's like a common knowledge. And then if you're just thinking for yourself, this is the hard part. If you're I think the hardest part in when you're an entrepreneur or when you're deciding stuff is being honest to yourself. Like so easy to fool yourself, you know. Um, and the thing is, you don't know when you have fooled yourself or not. Because at the same time, as an entrepreneur, you need to be optimistic and a bit maybe um, hyper realistic. But you can't be too hyper realistic. You still need to make money somehow and you know convince people to pay for the product that you're making or the service so um so how, where do you draw the line how honest are you to yourself how do you get feedback from outside how do you improve your thinking and so it's, i think that's that's the hardest part part yeah that's super hard i yeah i had a conversation uh with someone on the podcast once and they said uh market truth over entrepreneur's ego you know yeah. Like being able, being uh, able to like have that real, we're talking about, like, I forget, it's like prime information, prime, the prime data where like, these are the facts. This is like the, this are the ground truths of what's really going on. And then, you know, you can, you can have these slightly fanciful, but like, if you're completely lying to yourself and deceiving yourself yeah. and th like, that's the thing is like, yeah, you're right. That the, the biggest problem is going to be you blinding yourself from the truth of the situation. Uh, and, but it, it's also, it's like a balance, right? Cause part of it is like by believing in something, you make that thing happen. But at the same time, exactly. you can live in a world of fantasy and it just completely crumble around you. So it's just, it's a weird, it's a weird, it's a weird bit. What, let me, let me ask you. So with this, like, what's your ultimate Holy grail with these companies that you're making? Like, what are you trying to like ultimately achieve in these areas? Is there, is there an end goal? um 
with 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 these 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 visions and missions you're on? Um, no, no, there's no angle. So I think my main thing is just use my time that I have to make something meaningful um, and contribute in a positive way um, beyond the right side of history. Um, it's not necessarily about, you know, saving the world or making the biggest contribution ever or something. So I'd be as happy if I can make a small contribution. Um, you know, so let's say with Yeti cheese, what we don't say we will single-handedly convince every person on earth to go plant-based. Uh, we just say, we're going to make a great plant-based cheese um, that, um, you know, hopefully convince some people to go plant-based, um, but maybe, you know, maybe it will be a 20 person company, maybe a hundred people company, maybe a thousand people company, maybe we'll close down in two years because we realize it doesn't work. Um, so it's, it's not about, when I was younger, like in my twenties, I was um, kind of like um, really into this, um, you know, Silicon Valley, venture capital, and you gotta either you make a unicorn or it's not worth doing it mindset. Yeah. Um, and I'm, you know, I've tried that, I failed. And, um, and then I realized, hey, that's not, that's not a healthy way of thinking about your life and about business because, you know, it's, okay, great. There are some companies that are unicorns or have a huge, like legendary impact on humanity. That's great, but that's one in 50 years, you know? Um, so instead of trying to chase that, just go with the flow, see what you can do. Maybe you're good at building a small company and you can still have a positive impact, but in the end, it's about balance, you know, what's important in life. There are other things to life than just um, building a company. Um, so uh, you gotta see what's important for you and um, just work on stuff that's um, makes you happy and also has a positive contribution to society. It doesn't need to be climate change, it can be anything, like uh, something that makes other people's lives better or happier. It doesn't matter. I don't think it doesn't matter necessarily if it makes it 20 times better or two times. I think anything that's positive, it's worth doing. And mm -hmm. then you just do it and then you see where you are and then you continue doing it if you like it. Uh, yeah. yeah. So I, no, to answer your question, there's no end goal. It's, yeah. It's, it's, okay. It's, 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 it's a process. It, yeah. And, and I mean, you're right. If you can make something that has a positive impact and is profitable, then you're already ahead of so many people. And I've seen so many of them. Yeah. I've had a lot of friends go to Silicon Valley and do that climb up the mountain and they go through all the programs. They go through Y Combinator. They go through like, you know, all the different things. And then at the very end, they're like, here's the secret, build a profitable company. Exactly. Like, oh no, I gotta build, I, I, I raise all this money. He's like, build a profitable company. That's yeah. what you need to do. And it's super hard for people that want to have deep impact. People want to have like meaningful impact, but they don't know how to build a profitable company and then they're out. Right. And so that's a, that's one of the big challenges I think a lot of people have. And it's like, you don't have to try to, it's not like moonshot or nothing. It's like, how about anything 
over nothing, which is exactly. which is better. Is there? Uh, this, is, yeah. this has been great. Um, is there anything else you'd like to let people know about before you tell them how they how they can get a hold of you? Um, yeah, I think you know I say this to all my friends who build companies or to all new entrepreneurs. I think don't forget, you know, just keep in mind, you know, as you said, it's not. It's not about the end goal. I think it's really about the process. So if you want to build an impactful company, that's great. But also know that it will take 10, 20 years. So in the meantime, don't forget to live your life. Um, because you, you know, just work is work, but there's more to life than work. And if you're gonna, if you, you know, you can't, if you work eight hours a week, then I guarantee you 99% of you will not make it past a couple of years without burning out or something. Um, so then you're at zero. So rather go for, for a, you know, not mediocre, but like moderate thing instead of going on, then it's probably not worth it. Um, and think about who you're getting in bed with in terms of investors. I think uh, I've seen a lot of friends who took on the wrong investors and then it just fucks everything up. Ah, yeah. I've, uh, lots of stories about that. I have friends. Uh, yeah, it's not, it's not, you think when you get the investor, you win and it's like just starting out when you, it's, when you yeah, it's there. nothing. Uh, it doesn't mean yeah. anything. I mean, it means yeah, you're yeah. good at raising money. That's what it means. I mean, I mean it means you, you just you just got some debt. Now go go do yeah, exactly. stuff with it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This is great. Um, if people want to find out more about you and what you do, how do they get a hold of you? Yeah, I think um, the best is to follow me on Twitter. My DMs are also open. My Twitter handle is um, Ken Olser, um, C-A-N-O-L-C-E-R. I think you'll put that somewhere in the description, I hope. Um, mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, and then uh, just... Run me a message on Twitter if you want to get in touch. Have a coffee Be chat. Beautiful man. Um, I appreciate you uh, sharing your story with us. Uh, I, 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 you, you've got a very like chill way to look at things. Like, hey, let's keep things balanced. Let's just try to do some good. I'm not going to save the whole planet by myself. I just want to be on the right side of history. So, thank you for that, man. I, I really, I really appreciate um, you know you putting out those good vibes and uh, and doing your part. So. Uh, Thank you for coming on the podcast, and I will see you in another reality. <laughs> Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Ken. See you later, bud. Yeah. Thank you for listening to the Heroes of Reality podcast. Check out heroesofreality.com for more episodes. While you're there, you can also take the Heroes quiz to find out what kind of hero you are. Or if you have a great story and want to be on the podcast, tell us why your hero's journey will inspire others. Thank you for listening. See you on the other side.